0: Uh, and uh, not only those of us here, uh, but every week we have about uh, uh, 80 or so individual uh, IP addresses uh, that are tuning in live, uh, for anywhere from Culver Meadows uh, to the pavilions, and individual homes of people that are, are unable to come here for various reasons. So would you uh, greet them uh, with me with a round of applause? Thank you for joining us. Uh and uh, as, as a church that is committed to being, uh, uh, you know, really reaching out to the de-churched and the unchurched community, by the way, that is a great first step. Uh, if, uh, sometimes people are afraid to come uh, to church. Sometimes I'm afraid to come to church, aren't you? Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, if, it's not, if, if people aren't used to it, it's a great first step to give them uh, the uh, website and say, hey, why don't you check us out for a few weeks online and then make a decision uh, to join us uh, later. So uh, we do uh, thank them. Uh, we are not greeting Bel Air today uh, because they're at Barnes Park. About 80 or 100 uh, people are at Barnes Park uh, uh, today, and they're having a church service up on Lake Michigan, lucky them, lucky them. Malachi uh, chapter three, uh, we're gonna begin after verse six. In uh, verse six, it was talking about, uh, for I, the Lord, do not change, and therefore you are not consumed. That's where we uh, stopped last uh, Sunday. But let's uh, go to the Lord today in prayer before we begin, uh, because I know that there's 100 distractions uh, in your life, and you've uh, come here today, some of you, with, uh, with troubles, Uh, with prodigals that are heavy on your heart, with grandchildren, with grief, with loss, with marriage problems, with addictions. Uh, I know that uh, there is no perfect stained glass family, okay? So I know that as we gather here together today uh, that uh, some of your hearts are very tender, uh, and uh, we want to call upon him in prayer. Let's do that right now. And why don't you ask the Lord uh, yourself, uh, because he hears prayers, and ask him to speak. Father, Uh, Thank you uh, for your word. Thank you uh, that you give a fitting and proper word in its season. And so, Lord, today uh, we invite you to lead us uh, in the Scripture with truth, conviction, clarity, and transformation. Lord, we don't want this to be an intellectual exercise of transferring knowledge. We want it to be to the heart. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would deliver a word of comfort uh, to those who need comfort, a word of counsel to those who need wisdom, a word of correction to those who are w- uh, walking wayward. And Father, we uh, submit to your authority, don't we, church? And we ask you to speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. True story is told uh, in the 1960s of, uh, of a, a young Italian couple uh, who lived in Brooklyn, and uh, they were standing up on the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, This young Italian couple, uh, it was their second date, and they were standing up overlooking the East River, and uh, this Italian man looked down, and he saw a ring on her finger, and he said, hey, what is that? And she said, ah, it's just an old ring that an old boyfriend gave me. I wear it because it looks nice. Really? Really? This young Italian man was the son of a mafia man. He said, Let me see that. She hands him the ring, and he takes a look uh, at the ring. And after looking at it for a few seconds, he chucked it in the East River. And he said to her, You won't be needing that. You're with me now. And as a story was told, that young Italian woman fell in love with him at that moment. And they were later married, and he replaced her ring with another ring. It's a picture of what maybe is going on, if I could use that, in Malachi. Uh, the Lord is standing with his covenant people on a bridge. Uh, and, and he's calling them away from their old lifestyles. Uh, he he is chucking it as it were into the into the river, and he says, "You won't be needing that. You're with with me now." But what's amazing about Malachi is that you have the covenant affection of a father who desires uh, his people to know him. He's he is a lover. Uh, he he is deeply wired for this relationship, and yet you have a covenant people who see their old ways being rebuked and cast aside, and not only do they reject the lover's hand, they jump in the river looking for the old vestiges of their former ways. They have rejected the Lord, and this is where we begin with some bad news in verse 7. He says this, uh, and it all comes down to this, that God wants your heart He wants your heart. Everybody say, God wants your heart. This is it. He wants your heart. In verse 7, it reflects that he doesn't have their heart. Look at it. He says this, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my, now that doesn't say statues. I know that in America right now, people are rejecting statues, okay, uh, but it's, it's a fitting analogy, just as statues are being removed and rejected, okay, in a, in a, in a different way, of course, uh, but, but the people are rejecting the statutes of the Lord. They are tearing them down, they are covering them up, and they're saying, I don't want to be reminded of that. And so they have turned aside, he says, from the days of your father, you have turned aside, literally, I, you have soured, you, you have turned off your heart to these things from the statutes and have not kept them. And then he says, "This return to me, uh, and I will return to you," says the Lord of Hosts. Uh, they have turned aside; they have become soured to the things of Lord. Have you? My wife uh, jarred uh, 10 jars of beets a couple, well, about a month ago or so, 10 jars of beets. Uh, I have recently uh, turned my heart back around. I do like beets now. There was a day that I didn't. All 10 jars came unsealed and were worthless, soured. And, and, and this is a reflection of how some people's hearts are. They, they begin in a journey of walking with the Lord, and then at some point in time, they become unsealed. They become un, uh, uncorked, as it were, and, and they become soured uh, to the things of God. And this is what is going on with Israel, is that they had begun a walk with the Lord, but they, at some point in time, they considered it worthless. They withdrew from their hearts. They became soured and unsealed, and they began to reject his statutes. I saw a comic strip in the uh, Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago, and I'll put it up on the screen. It was just a simple salt and pepper one. It's a husband and wife uh, presumably walking together, and it says this. Uh, He is saying to her, my commitment is more than a bumper sticker, but less than a tattoo. Uh, It's it's somewhat funny, but somewhat sad, isn't it? Uh, We want all of the blessings of commitment, but we want all the flexibility of choice. And it's a reflection of how some people walk with the Lord. Is that, uh, you know, my commitment to the Lord, it's, it's more than a bumper sticker, but, but it's less than a permanent tattoo. And he says that this, this turning aside is not new with their generation. And guess what? It's not new with ours. There is no new sin under the sun. The things that you wrestle with are the things that have been passed down since the very days of Adam and Eve. In fact, we have a, a saying in our culture uh, that connects the, the behavior and the lifestyle of a son to that of his father. Uh, and and when, my, when my son does something, uh, usually that reflects my poor character, uh, my wife may look at me with that look uh, of hers that she gives, and she will say something to the effect, the apple doesn't what fall far from the tree, Right? And this is what he's saying. From the days of your fathers, uh, Abraham, Moses, uh, all of them, David, from the days of Adam, the apple has not stopped falling, and you are reflecting it again and again and again. The apple is not falling far from the tree. I just read a study this week uh, of Americans uh, and uh, the question was asked uh, if, if you uh, uh, would own the fact that you are a sinner. Uh, do you recognize that you're a sinner? Uh, here's, here's the study results uh, up on the screen uh, 67% of Americans admit they're sinners. 67%. Uh, the other th- 33%, they're not sinners apparently, but they are liars. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right? I mean, that's sad. Only 67% actually acknowledge and admit that there's something wrong in my heart, that I have actually turned aside from a moral law and that there's a moral law giver. 67%. Uh, But in the midst of this, in the midst of all of this bad news, we have the very promise of God tattooed permanently across the generations in verse 7. When he says this, return to me, and I will return to you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, in the midst of all of the uh, the, the, the randomness and the sinfulness and, and all of the apples falling from the tree, in the midst of all of the turning aside from his statutes, we have a God, verse 6, who does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is this God in the book of Hebrews which says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it is this God who says with this great fatherly love, standing upon a bridge, return to me, and I will return to you. What a promise. What a joy. He is standing like a dad on the front porch, as it were, waiting into the wee hours of the night for his son to come home, knowing that his son is making poor decisions at the bar, and the father in love is waiting up with the lights on, just waiting at midnight, waiting at one, waiting at two, and he's saying, if you just return to me, I'll return to you. But even more than that, it's a father who not only waits on the front porch at midnight and one and two, but he gets in his car at two o'clock, and he goes down through the streets, and he's looking in the bars, and he's pursuing. pursuing, he's chasing, he wants your affection, he wants your heart, he's pursuing. What a God we have, don't we? I, I once uh, drove into a bar, so almost a year ago, I think I had told this story, but, but I drove into a bar, it was about midnight or just uh, thereafter, and, and I was able to uh, invite a guy, his name was Davey, that's all I know about this man, and, and he was obliterated drunk. I mean, this guy was falling down, stumbling, and I was going to give him a ride home, and I opened my car door, and then with some expletives, he rejected me, and he walked back into the bar, and it broke my heart. And this is what is happening with the covenant people, is that the Father has gone to the bars. He is pursuing and chasing. He's like, listen, I want your heart. Return to me, return to me, return to me, and I will return to you. Tim Keller writes this, that we are more sinful than we ever dare believed, and yet at the same time, we are more loved than we ever dare hope. Pastor Tim did a funeral uh, just over a week ago, and uh, the the man's name was Fred, and, and, and Fred lived his entire life believing that he was unforgivable. He had done things in Vietnam that he knows that that the father, that that guy, he he believed that there was a God. He believed in Jesus, but he he lived with the conviction that he was absolutely unforgivable before a holy God. Five days before Fred died, a stranger comes to the door, an egg stranger, a man who was buying eggs and I won't go into the whole story, but this man they called the stranger because they don't know who he is. The family doesn't know who he is. They call him the stranger. The stranger explained to this man, it's not about how what you have done. It is about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And five days before Fred died, he received the good news that he is more sinful than he ever dared believe, but he is more love than he ever dared hope. And he received the good news. And Pastor Tim at the funeral preached about the thief at the cross, who in the very last moments of life received the good news that if you return to the Lord, what? He will return to you. And that is a promise tattooed across the generations. Do you need that today? Some of you do, I bet. What a promise. God wants our hearts. Uh, Number two, yet many withhold from him. Yet many withhold from him. The three joys of expository preaching, uh, that is, working verse by verse, chapter by chapter uh, through the scripture are these. First, uh, it allows God's word to direct uh, instead of uh, the pastor. Uh, Number two, it gives confidence that the pastor did not select the topic uh, because he has an ax to grind. And number three, it guarantees that all subjects, especially touchy ones like Giving, tithing, or homosexuality, or gender will all be covered at some point in time. We have an opportunity to cover the topic of tithing. And all God's people said, amen. Don't be nervous, okay? Don't put up the wall. I understand. Let's read it all in context. Because he wants your heart. It's all about the heart. And then bubbling up to the surface is just one thing that people tend to withhold. When God doesn't have your heart, let's look what he says, verse 8, verse 7, rather. But you say, it's the seventh time they have argued with the Lord. (laughs) Hop, horse knees. How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, the eighth time they have argued with the Lord, but you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. This is not selective. This is the entire covenant people. They are withholding from the Lord their hearts, yes, but also their resources. Verse 10 bring the full tithe. Here's the command bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Uh, The storehouse being the place of the temple where they collect the offerings and the sacrifices, that there may be food in my house. Again, the temple, the very temple that Jesus would walk in 400 years from this very uh, time that this was written. Bring the whole tie that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, that is the context. God wants your hearts, and some withhold it from him. And they not only withhold their hearts, but they then withhold their resources. I'm going to make a deal with you right now, okay? I'm going to make a deal, but I'm going to show this text on the street. I got a text yesterday from a man in the congregation who read ahead in the passage, and he sent me a text. I'm going to show you his text. Here it is, because he knew what we're talking about today. Uh, he said this, I read the passage and prayed for your sermon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's nice. Uh, we certainly do rob God in many areas, don't we, church, right? We do. We do he must be quite tired of being shortchanged and of our why even bother serving, giving attitudes. And then he says this, speak simple truth with authority tomorrow morning, brother. God's got the rest. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to speak with simplicity and clarity if you will receive it with sincerity and pliability. Is that a deal? I'm going to speak with simplicity and clarity if you receive it with sincerity and pliability. I'm going to preach this in context, and I think that we will come out delighted. The summary of the passage is this. God wants your heart. Giving is just symptomatic of what the heart is going on. Uh, Giving is just one of the reflections of if God has your heart. That's it. This is the context that God wants your heart. And when you withhold from God your heart, uh, obviously the resources then will follow. And this is what's happening with the covenant people. God does not have their heart. And as a result of that, they are not offering to God and giving to God the way that God has called them to give. The best I have ever read on this passage and on the entire subject is, is a theologian. His name is Andreas Kostenberger. And he wrote two different articles on Malachi chapter 3. In the first article, he unpacks Old Testament giving and, and tithing and contributions. In the second article, he rebuilds a construct of New Testament generosity. And his, one of his endpoints is this, is that many preachers have used and misused Malachi 3 on the subject of of giving. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend two minutes in the Old Testament teaching, two minutes in the New Testament understanding, and then give some general principles about giving. Are you ready? It is not going to be exhaustive in nature, but it is going to be simple and clear. So two minutes on Old Testament teaching on giving. First of all, uh, Israel was an it was an agrarian society, meaning this is that it was largely cattle and it was largely crops, and so their, their industry was all agrarian and agriculture in nature. At the very center of the covenant people was the temple. It was to be the very center of God's glory, his presence. It was where heaven and earth met, and it was the dwelling place of worship. Out of all of the people of Israel, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, the Lord dedicated one of the tribes that was what? The Levites to be the worship leaders of the congregation. That is, they were set apart from the entire covenant people to steward worship. And so these Levites were charged with drawing people's focus to the very glory in the presence of God. This was how God structured the covenant people. The question should be raised this way, because the Levites were not given the normal uh, things of work and labor. They were dedicated to the very household and the glory of God. The question should be asked, in a well-ordered society, how did God provide for the Levitical priesthood and for his glory? He provided through tithes and contributions. And so the way it would work is this, is that the covenant people of God would often give their first fruits, and not only their first fruits, but they would give above and beyond so that the worship and the glory of God would be maintained. It wasn't just 10%. It was probably in the range of 22 to 28%. Everybody say, ouch, ouch. It was in a higher range of gifts and offerings as the people presented sacrifices. Remember, cattle and crops to the very storehouse of the Lord. When those offerings came in, here's what they would do. They would do two things. They would take a portion of the offerings and sacrifices, and they would present them to the Lord, remembering that everything came from him. And then some of the offerings and sacrifices they would give as a form of, in essence, payment or, 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 or issue to the, to the Levitical priesthood to take care of the families. What's happening in Malachi The main problem is not tithes and offerings. It is a neglect of the glory of God. The entire system is dissolving because the people are withholding their hearts and they're neglecting the temple. They're neglecting the worship of God. And the Lord points to tithes and offerings just as a reflection. Hey, that's how you're robbing me. Let's talk New Testament. Two minutes on the New Testament. The New Testament never repeats the command of tithe. It never rejects it. In fact, it never even mentions the word tithe. Isn't that interesting? From Matthew through Revelation, the word is not even used. Everybody say, fascinating. Wow, I never knew that. That's the first time I ever heard a preacher admit that. Oh, just wait. It seems the pattern of New Testament giving is not a rigid legalism, but a radical generosity. Let me walk you through a few stories. The rich young ruler was told to give everything away and then follow Jesus, which he refused. Zacchaeus When he followed Jesus and trusted him as Lord, he gave half of his possessions to the poor, and then he gave four times to anyone that he stole from, like bricks. (laughs) Indeed, yes, Uh, so thank you. That was 25 times the amount. The widow gave two mites, and Jesus said she gave everything she had, and she gave more than all the rest. The church in Acts sold extra lands and extra houses that it may be distributed to the poor. And the Macedonians, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, the extraordinary generosity. We'll put this uh, up on the screen. It says that their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of what? generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Isn't that powerful? It's like, please take this. Please, we want to help. That is the spirit of New Testament generosity. In other words, in other words, The New Testament does not limit itself to a shoestring budget of 10% giving. Rather, it is a radical, simple, and remarkable journey of generosity. It is a journey of generosity. It is extraordinary in nature. It is prolific. It is liberal. It is licentious. It is always looking for needs to give give and give and give and give and give. That is the New Testament pattern of giving. How awesome is that? And so here's some general principles of giving based on Malachi and then the whole of Scripture. First of all, here it is, general principles. Giving is primarily a heart issue, not a money issue. Isn't that true? Your money will follow your heart, it always does. Where do you spend money? It's where your heart is. Of course it is, and that's okay. But the Lord is saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. And so if you're here today and you're tired of hearing about passion, listen, he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And giving is not about much of anything else other than it's a heart issue. Heart and money go together like an elderly couple that have been married 65 years, hand in hand, wherever they go, they're together, right? Heart and money, and they flow together. Second principle, genuine faith should overflow in generous giving. Genuine faith should overflow in generous giving. This is what Malachi is talking about. He's addressing the problem of giving, but he traces it back to a root system, and it's about the heart. He wants your heart. I love what Andreas Kostenberger in this article, he says, uh, if we can uh, go to that quote, no scripture commands a certain percentage as the minimum giving requirement. The New Testament sets a considerably higher, albeit more complex, standard than merely giving 10% of one's income. Isn't that amazing? Fascinating. That genuine faith should overflow in radical generosity. Third principle, generosity is not about rigid legalism. It is not about a checking-the-box system. Personally, I think it is very healthy to view tithing as a simple, it's a, it's a floor, not a ceiling. It's a, it's a ground floor. It's saying that, that I'm going to be giving to God, but I'm going to be pursuing generosity. But it is not about original legalism, because God has got my heart, and I'm going to continue to give. Number four, giving generosity should be modeled by pastors and elders and everybody. I'm serious. I want you to say amen. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you. I am so thankful for the, the, the rich heritage of Pastor Dave and the elders around here because of this reason, because I don't believe that a greedy pastor is qualified for the ministry. A pastor who is out for shameful gain is not setting an example to his congregation. A pastor is called to set an example in all things, right? Chief and foremost in the area of generosity. It should be modeled by the pastors and elders. Number five, it should be pursued by all. There's no exemption clause in the scripture regarding giving. Uh, Craig Blomberg uh, uh, believes in a what's called a graduated tie. That is, the more that you make, the more that God should have your resources. And I'm not talking about giving to the church. Listen, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about your heart, of generosity towards the king of the universe, that when you see a need, you meet a need. And I love the idea of a graduated tithe. The more you make, the more that you're looking to meet the needs of the saints. Number six, blessings follow what? This is the part of Malachi. Blessings follow obedience. May we never buy into the ugliness of the prosperity gospel, but may we never reject the beauty of faithfulness. The Lord says this in Malachi, test me in this, test me in this, and see if I will not open, what? The windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you cannot contain it. A young Italian named Vince uh, tells a story. Vince is the son of that Italian couple who stood on the bridge in the 1960s in Brooklyn. Vince was six years old, and he was playing at football outside in Brooklyn with a whole bunch of older boys, and he was, he was getting run over. Vince felt like such a weakling, six years old. He runs inside to his mom, tears streaming down his face. I don't have what it takes i'm not strong enough i'm not strong enough tears six years old streaming down his face his italian mama stops what she's doing and his italian mom comes over and she gets down in a position like this she sticks out her italian nose you've seen italian noses right she sticks out her italian nose and she says vince punch me in the nose punch me in the nose, and Vince is crying. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. Vince, punch me in the nose. Punch me in the nose, and this went back and forth, and six-year-old Vince was not about to hit his mama. <laughs> but that Italian mom would not relent. Vince, punch me in the nose. Punch me in the nose, and finally, Vince clenched his fist at six years old, and pow! And Vince said, what happened next was amazing he said blood started to flow out of her nose. And that Italian mom looks at him like Floyd Mayweather, right? And Vince said with a dazzling smile through the blood, she says, now get back out there. Vince said it was one of the most profound stories of his childhood that a mom would stick out her nose to prove to him he's got what it takes. And here in Malachi is the God of the universe sticking out his nose and saying, go, come on, test me. Come on, do it. And see if I will not through the blood of my son pour out so much blessing that you will not be able to contain. This is a beautiful, simple principle. God wants your heart, but many withhold it from him. But we have a God of the universe who is extraordinary in his blessing of us, if we would just test him in this. God wants our hearts, yet many withhold it from him and, and question his goodness, is point three, and question his goodness. Uh, this passage is, is not a positive passage. It, it starts with them turning aside from his statutes, and then they withhold their hearts, and then by the end, here it is. This is not. it is. It doesn't end with good news. It, they question his goodness. They, they question him. Look at this in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me. This is the Lord talking to his people, okay? So it would be like the Lord talking to us, okay? His church. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Let's just stop right there for a moment. Uh, The word for hard literally means stout, stout. Your words have been stout. Anybody in the microbrew arena knows that there's a variety of different beers, aren't there? And there's all the way from like a, the, the, the cheap, light Michelob, right? Like Bud Light, right? Just a, like two, three, 4% alcohol. And then it moves up, doesn't it? To what? Porters and stouts, 10, 11, 12, 13%. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are uh, inebriated, intoxicated. And the Lord says to his people, listen, your words are not light towards me, they're stout. Uh, you're angry about something your words have been so full of contempt and hatred against me isn't that true that we're prone to that towards the Lord stout words highly intoxicated words I said some hard words to my son this week It it was not appropriate it was not fitting I overreacted have you ever overreacted I overreacted over a minor offense, and about five minutes later, I knew I had to do some business, right? Parents, you ever had to do that, right? I, just, I, I had to call him back outside. I sat down next to him, and, and I said, son, wh- what, what just happened out here? And he began to explain what he did wrong. I said, no. I said, son, what did your dad do? Oh, no, no, dad, it, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Right? Easy love. No, it's okay. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right? It's okay but I began to take ownership of my stout words. And I said, son, I said, it was inappropriate. It was wrong. And I'm sorry I hurt your heart. And then his tears began to well. Isn't that amazing? If I would have missed that opportunity, I would have wounded his heart and I would not have got to the very heart issues of life. That's important, isn't it? That when our when our words are stout and 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 when we're when we're wrong, you gotta own it, don't you, church? You gotta own it, and you gotta go to people sometimes. Your son, your daughter, your listen. You gotta go to people. Your words have been stout. Well, here the words are stout towards God. We gotta own that. Well, what are they saying about God? Here it is. But you say, uh, the ninth time that they have argued, and the final time, this is the last time of Malachi, but you say, how have we spoken against you? The Lord says, well, here's what you've said. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What profit is it? And now we call the arrogant blessed, Evildoers doers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is their charges against the Lord. Their stout words could be summarized this way. Serving the Lord is useless, seeking the Lord is pointless, and obeying the Lord is worthless. And everyone here has felt like that at times. Isn't that true? I have too. Serving the Lord is useless, seeking the Lord is pointless, and obeying the Lord is worthless. This is the stout words against the Lord, and the Lord is calling them to account. And I know what it is like to go through seasons of life where you feel like you're obeying, and yet nothing is coming your way, and it feels like the God of the universe is totally against you. I know what it feels like. But here in Malachi, they are laying the blame at the very character of God and they are calling him unjust. They are shaking a fist in his face and their words are full of contempt against him. And there we are, my church, there we are standing on the bridge with this lover God who wants our affection and we are not only rejecting him, but we are diving in the river to get away from him. And this is how the book of Malachi ends. Which is why, which is why, everybody take the page. Turn one page. Which is why 400 years later, God sent his son to redeem us. Because all of us are in this category of stout, hard words against the Lord. Jesus Christ would come as the true and better tithe, and he didn't offer himself just ten percent, did he? He gave himself a hundred percent to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by faith in him all of us would become the heirs of a great nation. He was the true and better Adam who did not turn aside from the statutes of his father, but he obeyed fully and completely. All the way to the cross and he embraced the cross. He despised its shame and he is seated at the right hand of God. He is the true and better window from heaven opened up so that the blessings of heaven could be poured out upon his people because he said, I came that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. And he is the true and better victor who rebukes the devourer of the land and he causes the nations to be blessed This is the Savior we have, and it's a Savior we need. This is the beauty and the necessity of the gospel that Jesus Christ came for sinners, of whom I am the uttermost. Isn't that good news? We have all turned aside, verse 7. We have all withdrawn and withheld from him what is due his name, and we have all thought to ourselves, serving God is useless, and this is why we need a Savior. And this is the good news for Malachi. Let's make this very practical. Some action steps here. Uh, listen, church, uh, number one, you gotta return to the Lord. <laughs> return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. He wants your heart. He absolutely wants your affection. Uh, listen, men, uh, no matter no matter what pursuit you have, Jesus Christ is always the chief pursuit, and he loves you. Women, no matter how much uh, this world offers, he is the number one satisfier of your soul. I love what my wife says to me sometimes as she compares me to Jesus. <laughs> that is not a good comparison. She will say something to this effect, Craig, you're a really nice guy, but you're nothing compared to Jesus. <laughs> Amen, right? listen, return to the Lord. It's all about a heart issue. Uh, we had um, a meeting this week with a couple from the church, and, and, and they, were, they were bringing some good stuff to our attention, and, and, and they really felt that one of the chief, one of the central issues that, that the church needs is repentance. Repentance. And that, that's true. Repentance. And we're not just talking about the unbeliever, the de-church, the unchurch. We're talking about the church. We need repentance that is to return to a starting point, to go back to a place where you renew your affections towards the Lord. The church is not just to be informational, it is to be transformational. And J.C. Ryle, in a book a few hundred years ago, he writes to, uh, to young men, and he writes this, I grant you that true repentance is never too late, but I warn you at the same time, late repentance is seldom true. Let me read that again. I grant you true repentance is never too late. But I warn you that late repentance is seldom true, which is why the scripture says today, it sticks its nose out. Today, if you hear his voice, what? Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear it. Listen, church, return to the Lord. If, if someone here is feeling the Lord's conviction, return to him today, today, right now, today, and do not harden your heart your hearts. Number two, practical action. New Testament giving should be Here's a a summary of those two articles from uh, Kostenberger. I love these seven points. New Testament should be systematic, proportional, sacrificial, intentional, motivated by love, cheerful, and voluntary. I want you to look at that list of seven and just simply ask yourself, which one, which one do I need to be challenged in? Do I need to be corrected by? Which one should be, should should get my heart uh, more intentional? Should I be more systematic or proportional or sacrificial or intentional? Which one do I need? And let me take the cookies and put them on the very, very bottom shelf and make this really practical, okay, because that's what action steps are all about. This week, in the spirit of generosity and obedience to the Lord, very simple principle, you ready? Find a need and meet a need. Look around at the lifestyle that you have. Look around at the people of your your networks and your workplace, your family, and find a need and meet it. Very practical, and do it from the standpoint of the widow who gives in order to bless. I would encourage you to receive God's grace. Would you bow with me? Receive His grace. This is the beauty and the necessity of the gospel, the cross, and the resurrection. We have a God who promises a reward. Serving him is not worthless. Obeying him is not profitless. Maybe you have become weary of well-doing. Galatians, do not grow weary of well-doing. In due time, you'll reap a harvest. Listen, my friend, the scripture promises a day of resurrection hope when the Lord will reward us according to what we have done. In the book of Malachi, they had lost perspective of that. And so in this moment, I invite you to renew your affections of the Lord. Stand with him on that bridge. Turn aside from those old ways. And walk in fellowship with this lover who is called God, who gave his life for you. Father, we thank you for this day. May we never, Lord, withhold that which is due your name. You deserve all things. You deserve our hearts and you want our hearts. And it's all about the heart. Lord, I pray that your grace, Lord, would now move in our lives. Lord, that you would take the words that have been spoken, that you would impact hearts the way that you see fit, and that it would lead to a fruit of righteousness for your name's sake.